Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome officially the 500th episode of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein, and I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Chat room is open. If any questions for me or my guests, please let us know. And uh, we all hope that you'll have a fun time tonight as we're going to talk some wonderful stories whether it involves a match, being part of the media, um, anything nutty, crazy in our travels. This is going to be a fun time. And, you know, uh, why not start it off with the people who started with me back in the days of the Champion Soccer Radio Network, Carter Krishnire of World Soccer Talk, Dave Denholm of ESPN Radio Los Angeles, the radio voice of Los Angeles FC, these two men were a part of the original American Soccer Show on Champion Soccer Radio Network. Was supposed to have on Gary Richards. Unfortunately, something has come up and he's not available to come on. Later on, Scott Sandalow will be joining us. And we have some special guests that uh, these two gentlemen at the moment do not know who it is. So that's for me to know and for them to find out. But, gentlemen... Um, I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate 500 episodes of the Four Year Scenes Fire American Soccer Show without both of you. So thank you for taking the invitation. Thank you so much for having us. Congratulations, Daniel. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Part of good to talk to you. Yes, same here. Good to talk to Dave, and, and great to be with you, Daniel. Congratulations on number 500. It's, it's quite an achievement. It's, uh, that's 10 years worth of shows, it, over 10 years worth of shows. Incredible. I don't know how I did it. I'll be honest with you guys right now. I, I don't know how I did it. I, I, I don't know uh, how I found the guile. I don't know how I even found the gumption to, you know, go as long as I have, you know, 500 episodes of American Soccer Talk. Obviously, you know, we have to recognize some people that helped us along the way to get where we are, of course. Gary Richards, of course. We have to also thank Graham Bell, Peter Brown, yeah. Diana Germano, who was there with us as well. You know, they, all of us gave us, you know, uh, the confidence and the ideas to move forward and to, to, to make soccer internet radio what it is, I guess, today. Obviously, things have progressed with the technology, and uh, of course, I'm going to move on there as well. But for the time being, I'm going to remain where I am. But definitely, we're going to move forward, and I'll move forward with the technology, and hopefully, we can get something uh, bigger and better, obviously, down the road. But you know, I, it's just amazing. You know, the belief in the American player, the belief um, in our leagues. And, you know, we're all a part of it. And the belief that, you know, one day that this nation is going to hoist that little golden trophy, uh, which is, of course, uh, the World Cup trophy. And who knows, 
It might be this generation of players that have been dominating Europe right now. I mean, what's been going on um, in Spain with Barcelona, mostly the entire the entire country of Germany and what's been going on in England for a long time now. Uh, I mean, we're developing players that are just crazy and, and nutty and you know, it, it looks like they're more advanced now than, of course, some of our players were back in the day. But then again, the respect they're getting now has just been incredible, guys. It's just been really, really awesome. I and, agree. Uh, yeah. no, go ahead, Dave. It, you know, Daniel, I think uh, you bring up I – mean, I don't think we all have talked about this. Uh, I think the United States – Certainly, win the World Cup. I've been saying this for a long time because it's not just the U.S. and the talent that you talk about. It's just the format. You know, Costa Rica inches away, really, from the you know shock of the world, and really did shock the world in the World Cup. The United States back in '02, really get in the semifinals, and then you just don't know what happens game to game. Anything can happen if you get there and you're playing well. You get hot, really come together as a team. I mean, there's a lot of talent in world football. I think many teams that get to the World Cup can win it in any given tournament. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to because there's a lot of tough, you know, tough nations out there. But I think Cardiff, the U.S. certainly could win the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I think uh, you make a great point, Dave, about Costa Rica. So 2014, Costa Rica is a kick away from the semifinals. And yeah. uh, they went into a group of death. So you have England, Italy, and Uruguay in that group of death. Costa Rica wins that group of death. And when the foreign press was saying it's a group of death, they were talking about the other three teams. They weren't talking about the CONCACAF team. So that certainly gives, gives us a lot of belief in this region. And, and, and quite, quite frankly, I mean, I think the way you're seeing players from this region elevate themselves. I mean, I've, I've been watching Jonathan David fire Lil, Canadian fire Lille to the top of the table in, in, in uh, uh, France, ahead of PSG at this moment. And, and obviously, our American players, McKinney in particular, has been playing really well. Sargent got a goal this weekend, which was good to see. And now, the big story in England, um, at least when in the championship, because I go on Talk Sport once a week to talk about the championship, is Daryl DK. Uh, coming off the bench, it's become the super sub for Barnsley, and they're firing towards the promotion challenge. Now, we didn't know a year ago. We didn't know before the Disney tournament, uh, MLS tournament, MLS's back tournament, that we were even going to be talking about this kid in any sort of context of the national team. So we're seeing, uh, and Matthew Holte, we've talked about, Daniel, you and I before, we're seeing more and more good young Americans. Uh, Tyler Adams is, um, I, I want to talk a little bit about Tyler Adams if we get a chance, because uh, I, I, it's interesting the way he's being used tactically under Julian Nagelsmann at Leipzig. He's developing aspects of his game that, quite frankly, I don't remember an American player having in a long, long time. I mean, I'm thinking going way back. Um, so I, I, I'm real excited about a lot of these young players. So am I. So am I. I and I mean, the revelation we're getting, and and this, the the way they're playing, and the with the speed, and the the gumption, just everything that's going on. It's like yes. We can develop these players. They can play in Europe, the high, you know, pace, press system, anything and everything. And at the same time, you know, you're talking about, of course, you're having Jesse Marsh having success as a coach in Austria right now. I know 
the the Bundesliga in Austria is not as big, of course, as the German Bundesliga. But still, though, you know, you're you're still on European soil, and the way they've responded to him, those players, has been tremendous. I think Erling Holland was on Red Bull Salzburg before he made the move to Borussia. Yeah, Dortmund. yeah. But played, still, though, you know, yeah. to yeah, uh, just just to see what he's been able to do has been. Uh, amazing. Even though we know the type of manager that Jesse Marsh is, I've seen it firsthand, obviously, uh, with the New York Red Bulls when he was here for the time from 2015 uh, till he left midway of 2018. But still, though, uh, Jesse, uh, in my opinion, uh, is getting uh, a great opportunity, and he's already taken the reins over there so quickly. But, gentlemen, we're going to now sit back, kick back, relax. And let's talk some stuff here. Let let's let's talk some funny stories. Let's talk about you know what we've done for this game. Let us go first to Dave Denholm. Dave, tell oh. us something interesting, whether it be uh, your own situations when you were you know I I how dare I even say the words, but you were there for the LA Galaxy. Now you're with oh, LAFC yeah. doing radio broadcasting. Tell us a story. Tell us what, what happened. I want to hear it. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting. There's no doubt I was a diehard Galaxy fan for a long time. Season ticket holder, covered the team. Um, and I've had, uh, I've had some frank conversations with uh, people at the Galaxy, all the way up to a good friend of mine, Chris Klein, who I, I respect tremendously. Um, you know, just uh, the last couple of seasons, it, you know, I started to hear rumblings about LAFC coming, you know, what was going to be built. It was going to be built in my backyard, essentially. The place I was living in downtown LA was about three miles from where they were going to build the stadium. And I knew some of the people that were going to be involved. And, you know, I just, honestly, sometimes it's about relationships and they kind of opened the doors to me and they kind of convinced me and they kind of sold themselves on me, you know, to me about what they were going to build with this club from the ground up. And that was so exciting. And I got to admit, it's, it, it, they've swept me away. I, I do. I, I'm amazed at what LAFC has done in such a short time with the club and the, the infrastructure and the ownership group. And I mean, group, as we all know, uh, many owners of a part of that, but I got to know a couple of the key owners really well. And they're diehard MLS fans, which I loved. You know, I've always loved this league. It is my league. You know, this is, there's no doubt. So that really helped sell me. Uh, Daniel along the way and you know I got a lot of grief for it no doubt a lot of no, no galaxy fan is going to let me forget you know forget that but uh, it has been a wild ride to do what I love for uh, just a club from day one you know we're going into our fourth season I've been fortunate enough to call all the games since day one so far and it's been uh, just amazing and you know I, I can't I can't say enough about it it's been crazy I went to that first game up in Seattle the big win there, one nil with a goal, and just to see that crowd for the fight, that's the first time I've seen a game in Seattle with the Sounders crowd. Un- unbelievable. I had a great train ride back to the, to the hotel uh, on the train there in Seattle. Fabulous fans just had just lost their opener to us, and I'm wearing all my LAFC gear, you know, as a broadcaster. I got the shirt and everything, and the people were just tremendous to me, even in the train, even despite they just lost. They were so pumped up for LAFC to be in MLS and to try to develop a rivalry, which we know has developed since then. 
that I couldn't, I can't thank them enough, you know, and the Galaxy games against LAFC have been ridiculous, utterly ridiculous games, and it's been so much fun, i got to be honest. And, guys, I mean, coincides, you know, LAFC kind of coincides with how the league has just gotten so much better, and it's not just because of LAFC by any means, but LAFC is kind of like a nice mirror to that, that all, even the new teams, you know, Nashville, everybody, I mean, you've got to be ready to go, and you you better bring it as any franchise in MLS or you're going to get left behind. And that's a good thing, you know? And so that's been a lot of fun. And, you know, look, I remember the days going back to CSRN and being, uh, you know, taking the tour around there. And I got to be honest with you guys. I thought we were a little bit ahead of our time as it goes, you know, and sometimes that happens because I thought we were doing great work there. Everybody was just tremendous. All the people you mentioned, Daniel, uh, just great memories of doing that show with Cardick who's a great guy, of course. I don't need to tell everybody that. Uh, I think you all know that, but uh, just too much fun, Cardick. You know, we just had, we just had a great time. And it, I love soccer. I love American soccer. And just to be able to do that show with Cardick really just helped cement that for me. And, of course, now MLS, you know, going into the, you know, its third decade, essentially, you know, it's, it's been tremendous. Well, Cardick. Yeah, got any good things to say about Dave? <laughs> plenty, of, plenty of good things to say about Dave before he crossed the divide and went to LAFC. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I, 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 I still have a soft spot for the LA Galaxy. I'll admit that, and uh, um, and part of it, I will admit, is clinging to like yeah, and I, it's the same thing with with Red Bull with your club. It's like clinging to the to the to the original MLS club in the big market. So um, I, I, I began, and also because I like Jesse and, and, and what Red Bull is doing so much, not just with, with Red Bull New York, but also with Salzburg and Leipzig and the system of football they have. And I'm really hoping uh, Red Bull can take this title away from Bayern or Leipzig can take this title away from Bayern. They're, they're right on their heels right now uh, in Germany. But I, 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 I began clinging funnily to um, those two clubs. And then we saw each other in Orlando when, when uh, you came down with the, with the club uh, to play Orlando City, uh, the second year of Orlando City, right after uh, uh, Colleen had moved, actually, from Orlando City to, to Red Bull. So, yeah, I, I have some sentiments for the Galaxy. I have to admit that, and, and uh, I feel like they're, they're not the new shiny object in, in, in the L.A. area. I want people to remember the legacy of that club. But, yeah, LA, LAFC has moved this, this league forward, I think, you also look at what Bob Bradley has done as a manager. And you even have a guy like Mo Salah. I know Liverpool's on the best moment right now. But um, still, he's the leading goal scorer in the Premier League. He will talk very highly about Bob Bradley and the time he spent with Bob Bradley as a young player when Bradley managed uh, the Egyptian national team from 2011 to 2013. At the time, Salah was at, at, at Basel. Um, in Switzerland was not, you know, was just developing his game and breaking through. So yeah, Dave is great. He's been uh, one of the great champions for the sport in this country. And Dave has been, uh, I think so importantly, a champion for this sport on mainstream media, right? On um, ESPN, um, the Dan Homan Long Show back in the day in, 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 in Southern California on mainstream platforms, which uh, has helped to grow the sport. And, and I think, uh, that's important for us because one of the things that's happened recently is uh, we've kind of segregated ourselves. And mm-hmm. um, 
That's why I, I, I talk fairly often uh, to Taylor Twelman. I was actually talking to him right before uh, the Red Bull. Uh, sorry, not Red Bull. Sorry, the Leipzig, uh, the, the uh, Dortmund Bayern game the other day, the Bayern Dortmund game. They're right. a classicer. And um, I think it's so important what Taylor has done as a former MLS player, getting himself into kind of the mainstream sports media at ESPN on some of the non-soccer right. shows to yeah. showcase yes. our sports. So I think that's really exactly. important. I, I've encouraged him uh, as a friend of his to, uh, to keep pushing that. And uh, that I think is so important for a sport. But I have a lot of crazy mm-hmm. stories from my time working as the uh, – the communications director with the NASL, that's probably crazier than some of the yeah. stories I have as a writer. It, it was uh, a crazy <laughs> loop. So maybe yep. we'll get into that as the night goes Well, we'll, we'll hold off on that for a moment, Carter, because I have a special guest who's joining us on the line right now. Of course, you know, these days he's a, grump, he's a grumpy pundit, but you know what? He'll always be the lovable man that I know and love because he has a big heart. The one and only Tommy Smith is joining us to help celebrate 500 episodes of this show. Tommy, uh, thank you for your time. I always appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the work you've done uh, for football in the United States. I know you got a couple of whoppers in you. Go ahead, sir. The floor is yours. Well, the first thing I would just like to say is I would like to congratulate you guys. 500 shows. That's a whole lot of shows, let me tell you. And all good ones are that, Daniel. So, you know, things are going good in that respect. Okay, you wanted stories. I wasn't really sure what kind of a story you want. But I will tell you a couple that I covered when I was with ESPN. Uh, Luis Figo, of course, was a great Barcelona player. But uh, he transferred to Real Madrid. And, of course, when you do that, I mean, in Spain, that just sets everybody going crazy. So one of the days that he came back to play against Barcelona with Real Madrid, uh, it was in 2000. We were covering the game, right? And there was all kinds of commotion. And if they had any sense, like, they wouldn't have done what they were doing. But they were sending him out to take the corner kicks. So when you go out to take the corner kick, you know that you're, I mean, you're a moving target at that stage. You're right there in front of them. And there was everything coming in. There was bottles. There was, you name it, was coming in. But the most unbelievable thing that came in that day, I will never forget it, a pig's head with the blood running out of it. Some guy managed to take a pig's head into the game and throw it at Luis Figo. Can you imagine that? I can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. That happened in, in, in the new camp. It happened in the new camp. And there was one other, one other fantastic one that I've seen. I was covering Syria, and Inter were playing Atlanta. Now, Inter were a bad team that time, not like the team that is now there, that they can win. You know, they're probably going to win the Scudetto, especially after beating at Atlanta today. But for some reason, you know the way they have all these scooters in Italy, lovely little scooters. Somebody got a scooter into the game and they actually lit it and they threw it down a couple of rows over the railing down on top of the people below and I mean you know the scooters on on, uh, rubber wheels it was bouncing up and down it was like a Uh trampoline on its own and I mean it's it's incredible that there was nobody injured and the one good thing about it was it was very high up and the cops got to it because some guy was going to throw it from the very top of the San Siro down into the crowd underneath in an effort to get it onto the field. How are those two stories for you? 
<laughs> oh my god, that is crazy. It's believable and I wouldn't doubt it. Oh, you can oh, you can Google goodness, it. There's Tommy. lots of pictures and everything. I will tell you one other story I that will will amuse you. <clears throat> when I was working with ESPN, uh I would go to mass every Sunday in the little church not too far from ESPN. So one Sunday I was at mass mm-hmm. and this guy was signaling to me and all the rest of it and as soon as I got up to leave of course, he followed me out, and he put an arm around me, and he said, Oh, I'm delighted to meet you. I've been watching you for so many years, and you do an amazing job on the soccer. And he went on, and he went on, and he went on, and he went on. And as I was leaving, he said, By the way, are you going back to ESPN? I said, I am, yeah. And he said, Would you do me a big favor? I said, Sure. He said, Will you tell Tommy Smith I said hello? He thought I was Seamus Mallon. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tell you one thing, they can build you up quickly but they tear you down just as quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that's awesome. What Wasn't a it? schmuck, but that's a great story, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. And if you want real good I mean I didn't do a football story for you yet, so I'll do one. Uh, in ninety nine sure. in the new camp. Bayern Munich are leading 1-0 against Manchester United, the Champions League final. Bayern Munich figured to have it won. Yes. To take off Lothar Matthias. Lothar sitting on the sideline. Alex Ferguson takes on the S's. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer and Teddy Sheringham. There's like three minutes left in the mm-hmm. game. The two subs scored two goals and Manchester United stole the Champions League 2-1 in Barcelona that night. And the other big mm-hmm. one was I remember Istanbul. That. Do you remember Istanbul where That's AC right. Milan were leading 3-0 at half time and uh, Liverpool came out in the second half. Gerrard got them going. They ended up drawing the game, went to a penalty shootout and unbelievable saves. And at the end of the night, Milan had lost the Champions League after leading 3-0 at half time. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yes. I remember that one. That was where, Tommy, I have to tell you, um, I have a Man United shirt that actually, you know, that team that Sir Alex Ferguson had, David Beckham, uh, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, um, Roy Keane, so many wonderful players that they've had, of course. We can't forget Peter Schmeichel in goal, but I have uh, the old Umbro Sharp advertisement on the uh, Man United shirt. And the only player I have on the back of that shirt is the Norwegian super sub that you mentioned, Skolshire. Oh, oh, oh. I, I, I enjoyed him coming off the bench. Why? I don't know. Nothing against Beckham, nothing against Giggs or anyone else on that club, but it was always Ole Gunnar Skolshire that came in when he just scored and scored and scored Better as a substitute than a starter. That's that's for damn sure. Oh yeah, well he was a, he was what I always called he was a blue collar worker. He was one of us guys. There was no pretenses with him or anything. He came in. He was paid to score goals. But that's exactly what he did. He scored goals. And I know today on Grumpy Pundits we had this quiz up about will any goal or show share ever win a Premier League with Manchester United? And overwhelmingly, I couldn't believe it, overwhelmingly people voted that he wouldn't. I think they're wrong. I think he eventually will. I think he is Manchester United heading in the right direction. I agree. I absolutely agree, Tommy. I believe it as well. 
Tommy, thank you for your time. Um, you've always been one of my favorites. I know you've done plenty of work for ESPN. Tommy Smith, the first ever analyst on Metro Stars uh, matches on MSG Network with Joe Tollison, of course. Uh, always love Tommy I know calling games. And... I know he's my boss at Sirius. Can you believe that? I mean, <laughs> how about a around? What? <laughs> <laughs> he's torturing you, Tommy. Exactly, he's torturing exactly. you. <laughs> yeah, he's he stalked me all those years and he finally got me to Sirius and now he has me in a corner. But you can catch myself and Rodney Marsh every morning at nine o'clock on Sirius. That's brilliant. Tommy, thank you so much once again and you have a good night, sir. Thank you once again for coming on. And don't stop at the next 500. Go for 500 more and 500 more because the proclaimer said I would walk 500 miles. You can just keep doing 500 shows. (laughs) Thank you, Tommy. Have a good night. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Tommy Smith. Uh, always one of the best in my book. He's he's so brilliant. He's so fantastic. I love I love talking to Tommy. Um, unfortunately, no longer doing Philadelphia Union matches on television. Uh, Higginbottom has taken that over. But um, still, though, guys, how how you love Tommy, man? It, it's great to have oh, him on to talk football. Fantastic, fantastic. And you know the uh, the, the, the those. Uh, those stories are legendary. I'm a little unhappy today that Atalanta couldn't beat Inter, so he had to remind me about that. Atalanta, by the way, those of you out there who haven't watched them, they're probably the most fun team to watch in Europe the last few years. But, boy, those stories, the, the pig's head with Figo, I had forgotten about that. But that was uh, a big moment in football over the last 20-some-odd years, and then obviously those, those Champions League finals. But, uh, but Dave, you know he he he's he's kind of the guy who who blazed the trail for 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 people like you and me. Tommy Smith uh, oh, is on a, on the Mount Rushmore of, of soccer. Yeah, I mean, I'm the guy country. who I fell in love with soccer around the time of the World Cup here, 19, 1994. I started to really follow it just before then, knowing we were going to be getting the World Cup, and then knowing MLS was coming. And Tommy Smith was a huge part of that. I mean, absolutely a big part of me falling in love with the game, all the games he did and hearing his calls and, you know, and just absolutely. He's a huge part of that. That's a, that's great, uh, Daniel. I love that you uh, have him on and uh, talk to him a lot. Uh, he did inspire me to think about a couple stories from MLS that uh, first one I'll share, uh, guys, is like 1996, first year of the league. I'm still uh, in Ohio, so I go. I decide I want to go to see a Columbus Crew game, right? And uh, you know, I, I'm not. I, I wasn't really a fan of the Crew because uh, I'm born and raised in Cleveland. Not that I hated the Crew. I was going to root for them when I went. They happened to be playing New England Revolution in Ohio Stadium, where the Buckeyes, Ohio State Buckeyes, play. Uh, they had not yet built the uh, the stadium there in Columbus. And I'm kind of sitting. I'm sitting with my uh, family. My my sister and my father, uh, dad came to the game with me. And we're not real close to the, to the field by any means. We're high up enough to see this. But uh, Columbus scores a late goal, and then they hang on and win. I think it was 3-2, to two, something like that. And, it, and everybody was going crazy because it was a late goal. And they start to storm the field, the fans. Like, there's a decent crowd there for these games, although the stadium was massive, so it looked like there was nobody there. But there was a good crowd. They start to storm the field. And, you know, this is the time when people are still learning the game in America, 
everybody knows about hooliganism all over the world. That's all anybody wants to talk about, you know, that don't, you know, people that don't like soccer. So I'm seeing all these people start to storm the pitch. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And someone gets on the PA and says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please leave the field. And everybody just immediately turns around and leaves. Like nobody's, you know, like they didn't celebrate or anything. It was like, oh, sorry. And everybody left. So then I thought, okay, well, it's not going to, you know, debase, uh, we're not going to debase ourselves here with, uh, you know, some crazy scene. Just funny how everybody was so excited to see Columbus win. And then immediately like, oh, sorry, we're on the pitch, you know, like pitch invaders. But then they immediately hightailed it right back to the seats. It was kind of funny. And then uh, another story I think you guys will love, uh, Cardix, you know, obviously a diehard Galaxy fan, as he said, when I was uh, back when <laughs> David Beckham signed, right? So that was, yeah. I mean, guys, we know, we know, but you know, in case people maybe who are listening who are kind of younger, when he came in, that was one of the biggest days in world football. Uh, and there were press coming from all over the globe. And I mean, from every continent, four corners of the world and descended on, you know, at the time, what was it? Home Depot center, um, you know, now Dignity health sports park down there in Carson. And so they had to split up how many press, like he had press conferences in several areas because there was so much media. So he would go from one press conference to another essentially probably answers the same questions well he's coming from real madrid of course and real madrid was on top of the world the galaxy were awful at that time and i was a season ticket holder yeah covered the team you know knew a lot of people around there so they let me have the first question so beckham comes in sits down in front of all this media and at the time you know i'm I'm a season ticket holder i'm mad the galaxy are bad but i got to cover the team you know and i'm doing my job and so beckham they give me the first question and I, i looked him in the eye and I'm probably only about – this was so crowded. I was probably only about three or four feet away from him. He's sitting at the desk. And I asked him, and I said, and I'll never forget this, I said, how does it feel to go from the best team in Europe to the worst team in America? And he turns around <laughs> like, he's mad. He's mad. You can see. And he looks at me and he says, well, we'll see about that, won't we? And he wasn't <laughs> mad at me. It was more of the fire or the passion. And I knew right then he was going to be successful there. Of course he was going to be successful because yeah. the guy was successful everywhere. But I knew he wasn't just going there to just take, you know, take the last five years off of his career or whatever it was, six, seven years, whatever it was going to be. It was five-year contract. But he just was so fired up to hear that. And, like, he was going to prove that wrong right there, you know. And it just it, that was a great kind of story in the sense that, like, what a day it was. And he went out and did that. He won two cups, you know. So he obviously proved that, that he, you know, he was a success. Yeah. No, that's fantastic to re- to hear about, Dave. Uh, we have a brand-new guest coming on right now. He's going to be part of the group. This is Scott Sandalo. I know Scott Sandalo. Uh, at the time, uh, social media director for the New York Red Bulls. Of course, he's been with Bayern Munich USA. I believe he's now with AS Roma USA right now. Scotty, how are you? Good, good. First of all, too, I want to say, um, obviously not just on International Women's Day, but on every day that Molly was actually, Molly Brady was the one who pulled all the strings for Red Bull um, in social media. So if anyone deserves all the credit for that, it's 100% her. Um, I was just along for the ride on it. So first and foremost, uh, Molly is the one who is behind all the amazing stuff that happened when I was there. <laughs> yeah, Molly was always great. I was I always loved Molly. She's a great person. And yeah, absolutely. No, me too. I, um, I thought it was a good day for me. Yeah, at, at Roman now, at Roman now, so for sure. That's awesome. So, 
Scotty, uh, give us anything that you've done, you know, whether it's with Red Bull or uh, Bayern Munich in the USA offices or uh, the Roma offices in New York City, obviously. Uh, Anything funny ever happen? To to me, I'll tell you, like, my favorite, favorite story about working in soccer, and this is one that I've always found, like, just one of the coolest things and when it really sunk in for me, like, how cool this this business is. So I remember we were in D.C. um, in 20. 14 playing at RFK and, and I, I always really loved that trip oh, like God. going to DC. Um, you know, <laughs> as much as people didn't like the stadium, I, I loved it. I think it was a really fun trip taking the train there. So I was, you know, with Red Bull and we were at the hotel in the morning, um, which is in DuPont Circle. So, you know, some of the guys maybe would go out for dinner or, or hang out a little bit. You know, Thierry Henry when he was there would always just sit in the hotel and just kind of people watch or, or hang out. Um, and sit at the hotel bar and just have coffee or have a drink. Um, so my favorite thing is it's on like a random Saturday morning, you know, there's an Arsenal game going on. So he's sitting there just watching the Arsenal game at the bar kind of by himself. There's a guy who's in the hotel has no idea that the Red Bulls are staying there wearing an Arsenal shirt. He goes to check the score of the Arsenal game with his wife. He peeks around and then all of a sudden he thinks he sees Gary Henry. So he looks and then he looks again, looks back, looks again, freaks out because he sees Thierry. So imagine like, you're just walking into a random hotel in Washington, D.C., and you have no idea, and you're this big fan, and you, out of nowhere, see Thierry Henry watching a, a D.C. United, you know, or, excuse me, an Arsenal game. So, to me, that those are the kind of stories that I, I love the most and kind of what make MLS the most special. Um, so, that, that's one that always sticks out in my memory. It's like, this is just such a fun story, and I, I love that. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, Thierry always does that to every Arsenal fan. That's for sure. Yeah. We all know what he did. Thierry does with it. Yeah, I, I, yep. you know, yep. the, I mean, the, I meet the, Arsenal fans. Exactly. The, the cool Go thing ahead. about not not all these guys, Thierry, all of them is how how approachable they were. So you know, everyone on that team was so nice and kind. And I, I think I've been lucky to you know see it on different levels of European football. Like these guys understand the responsibility they have to to take care of fans and, you know, when they're in America. So it, it's been really encouraging just to see how, how nice and, and respectful of what they're doing. These guys are. And I love that. Yep. Me too. I love that too. Yeah. But Thierry's yeah. Thierry. We all know that. No, I'm not trying to, exactly. you know, poo poo it. I'm just having a little fun with it because we all know about Thierry. Let me tell you. Um, oh God, this is a funny story. It, it's not really a funny story. Well, technically it's a funny story because there are certain people, yeah. you know, uh, sure. <laughs> certain people that, uh, you know, that y- you know how they treat others sometimes in the papers and everything. And I try to be as respectful as possible. Here, here's my story, guys, real quickly. Um, there's a certain reporter. You may know who I'm talking about, Scott. Uh, he writes for the New York Daily News. He does cover New York City FC. He also covers the New York Knicks. Um, this is Philip, uh, this is, uh, Philip Bondi's son. And, uh, let's just, you, yep, you know who he is. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Stefan Bondi. And at the time, he must not have said something nice about Thierry, or he didn't, he didn't, uh, he wrote an article that wasn't nice about Thierry. I remember this story. I will keep yep. it clean. Yes, yeah. yeah, I thought you might. I thought you might. Gentlemen, yeah. he just walks up behind behind Stefan and calls him a piece of garbage and he just yeah. walks off and I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, what did he do? And he yeah, turns around no. and goes, What did I say? What did I write? I'm like, uh oh. And that's when yeah. I learned 
right off the bat. You do not make Thierry Henry mad. You do not <laughs> ask him stupid questions, and you do not try to make him mad. You got to keep it simple, pleasant, and to the point. And the one time where they finally, where they beat DC United, Scotty, in the first leg of the uh, conference semifinals, uh, they won 2 0, uh, the Red Bulls. And then I have to make sure I ask the, the questions properly. Because it's a two-leg yeah. series at the time. It was uh, away goals that also counted. And I went to Thierry, yeah. and I swear to God, I said to him right away, Thierry, I know the job's not done, but can you please describe this performance? And he just went off, no problems, and everything was fine. <laughs> but I got to no. tell you, you've yeah. got to make sure you do not make him mad. If you come at the king, yeah, you best not miss, right? Yeah, and he, he was like that, I, I think, and that's what is. You know, like going back to kind of some of the times I've had, there's only probably two players who, you know, I've been like fortunate enough to be around a, a lot of really, really talented guys. There were two guys when they trained, um, you know, I was pretty much in awe of. Uh, Thierry was one. And then when I was with Bayern, Arjen Robin was the other one. Like they, the way, like there's just something about them and their aura that like really are almost intimidating, but it's like, kind of beautiful at the same time. Um, so those two, and it, you know, it's, it, you know, fortunate to to be around both of them, but those those are the two guys I always say like are on a, a level that was somehow just different than everybody else's. Uh, but yeah, that 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 that's always a fun memory. <laughs> no, it really is. Um, Cardick, you have anything funny to say? And then I know Dave's got to get going soon, but I want Cardick to tell us a story. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got two fairly quick stories. So uh, the first I'll say was uh, I'm going in reverse chronological order. Uh, 2015, I go to cover uh, Bayer Leverkusen at the Bay Arena against uh, Schalke. And, and, uh, and after the match, do some interviews, get, get to know Joel Matip. A day later, I go to Gels- or two days later, we go to Gelsenkirchen. Uh, and actually, uh, Thomas Floyd from Goal was on the same trip with me. So I uh, talked to Matip and said, you know, I'll, I'll see you in a few months because you're playing the team that I, 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 I consult for, for Lardell. Uh, strikers. So um, two months later, they come to Florida, and Matip and I are renewing acquaintances, and he's asking me questions because I told him I'm a Manchester City fan about Manchester City. And so I'm thinking, okay, you know, uh, we need a center back, etc. Uh, they play the strikers in the friendly. Next morning, I see Matip signs with Liverpool. <laughs> so it was just <laughs> one of these weird things where he was scoping out the future competition, although Leroy Sané was also, Sané was also on that uh, Schalke side, and now he, uh, he obviously is at Bayern now, but uh, was at Manchester City for a few years. So that was one story. Another story was 2013, Real Madrid, Chelsea, friendly in Miami, uh, which Charlie Stilitano had put on. And um, that's the game where Mourinho is facing Real Madrid right after he's left Real Madrid. The place is full. It's Miami, so it's mostly Real Madrid fans, a lot of booze, etc. After the match, Mourinho gives this classic Mourinho press conference uh, and all kinds of barbs. I'm sitting in the tunnel with Chris Harris, who you know, Daniel, and obviously Dave, you know him well, too, uh, from World Soccer Talk. Eric Ronaldo comes up to us, yep. and I'm obviously there for World Soccer Talk, and uh, I think Waldo was there for Fox pulls me aside and like Chris is all offended. Why can't he be part of this conversation? Remember, this is kind of 
you know, in soccer, unfortunately, to make ends meet, a lot of us have had to double dip through the year. So at that point, when all those working mm-hmm. for Fox and the Atlanta Silverbacks, I'm working for World Soccer Talk and for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. The Fort Lauderdale Strikers and the Atlanta Silverbacks are in the same league. Waldo is proposing a trade to me in the tunnel. <laughs> He's like, if you send me Andy Harone, specifically the player, but he wanted Andy Harone for sure. I think he was going to send us Joe Nasco, and he wanted one other player. I think it was Walter Restrepo. And then he's like, well, is there another guy you want uh, on the silverbacks and Danny Barrera or somebody like that? And he's, like, not letting go of me. Uh, and I'm like, hey, look, I, I mean, I, I'm the communications guy. I got it. He's like, yeah, but you're – NASL is not like MOS, right? You have uh, right. only a few staff people. NASL. So if, if you're the comms guy, you're actually pretty close to the, to the, to the director of football, the guy who's going to pull the trigger, the head coach, uh, which Ronaldo knew. Um, so I'm like, I can't make this trade here. He's like, I, I, need this, I need these guys. You know, typical Waldo. So actually it turns out we ended up doing a trade a few weeks later with Atlanta. But the genesis of this trade, and Heron went there, but, uh, and I can't remember the other players involved, but the genesis of this trade was in the tunnel when we're both there for journalists and to, uh, for, for uh, broadcasters and for, and for uh, publications, uh, the genesis of, of this trade was in the tunnel after a Real Madrid-Chelsea uh, friendly. It was just insane. That's, that's soccer. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, my God. Eric Winalda, the ever salesman, still going at it. Uh, I hope he gets back into the coaching ranks soon because, you know, we know how good he is. Uh, I know he was up in my neck of the woods uh, for the New Amsterdam club in NISA, and I know it didn't last long. I think he got homesick, which I yeah. can understand. But um, you know, uh, uh, you know, look, a brilliant mind, you know, knows everything. I mean, very opinionated, but it's fine because this is a man that uh, has done a lot back in the day, uh, you know, on his time with the uh, men's national team, and uh, of course, everything else. Uh, Dave, if you have any other stories you want to talk about, because I want to hear a little, one or two more, if you could, please. Oh boy, it's just uh, this has been out. Uh, I enjoy it, no question. Um, I love Eric, by the way. Working with him at Fox Soccer a little bit, great guy, really just a, a great guy. And you're right, honestly, uh, you know, because he does speak his mind, you know, and that's something as a sports talk show host for a number of years. Um, you know, it's funny that Cardick mentioned that, like just being part of the mainstream media, if you will. I remember, guys, and I mean, not, this is a funny story to me, although it doesn't sound like it. I came to uh, Los Angeles in, to do sports talk radio, do afternoon drive at a station, an all sports station in 1998. And I got mocked by people for liking soccer in, in Los Angeles, which even then, of course, 1990, I mean, it was the biggest sport in the city, but I'm, in, I'm with a bunch of, you know, English-speaking guys in the media, primarily men, who hated soccer for no reason, you know, and they would mock me for even talking about it. And it was just funny how things changed. Even with the same guys who would mock me then, slowly but surely, things changed for all of us, you know. And now, of course, it's mainstream and it's more mainstream than ever. Uh, But that was just – it was interesting times, you know. And uh, back then – you really, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, we lived on big soccer guys. Let's face it. Big soccer.com. That's where I lived and learned right. a lot about it. And, you know, my age group, if you will, but yeah, Daniel, we had, I, I mean, I've had some great times in, uh, in world football, no question about it, but some of them, you know, even just, 
it's not even about funny stories. It's just, just like going to games and just, you know, as a season ticket holder, the galaxy, I went to several MLS cup finals, a lot of them in LA uh, sitting in, you know, in the rain with my buddy, who we were, we shared season tickets and we, we, we were able, we're actually weren't able to get our seats for that game. We ended up having uh, changing plans and going late at last minute. And we had standing room only, you know, and then just to see how the league evolved in a stadium that was built for soccer. I'm in the rain watching a final, you know, I got it just so many great memories that way. No doubt about it. Uh, but one of my favorites, I'll leave you guys with a story, 1999 Women's World Cup Final, the Rose Bowl. Um, just the, the greatest, you know, greatest single soccer game that I've ever been to. Of course, Brandy Chastain, you know, makes the penalty. But what I remember, and I don't know if any of you guys were there, it was, it had to be, like, on the field that day, it had to be 130 degrees in the Rose Bowl. I mean, it, it was. Oh, yeah miserably hot and the Rose Bowl gets like that anyway but this it was maybe the hottest day I've ever felt in Los Angeles living there for decades and unbelievable it didn't matter nobody cared it was just a celebration and it was awesome but the greatest thing about that is I was doing my show in in Los Angeles sports talk somebody from the sales department handed me two tickets to the women's world cup final because nobody else wanted to use them at the station. Like it wasn't, they weren't, they weren't supposed to come to me as a sports talk show host. They were supposed to be used for sales or whatever. And I grabbed them and I'm so glad I did. My wife and I still talk about that game to this day. So I'm just very fortunate to have uh, done that and got to, got to do that, you know, at that time. It was fantastic. That's awesome. Dave, thanks again for coming on. Uh, I appreciate it, and uh, listen, of course, anytime you want to come back on, you know you're more than welcome to do so. We'll talk LAFC stuff uh, when we get the opportunity, but thanks for those stories, man. You know, you're one of the best. I always love having you on the show, and you take care, okay? I miss you guys. Daniel, thank you so much. Cardick, it was always uh, always a good time, brother, and uh, good to talk to you and as well. And, uh, Scott, thanks for uh, stopping by. Good to hear you as well. Take care, guys. Have a good evening. Yeah, you Thank too. you. You take care. Hopefully, get Scott. We'll hopefully get Scott Scott Sandalo back on. Lost him for a minute. Try to get him back on as quickly as we can. But join me right now, my other special secret guest. Uh, this is a gentleman, of course, uh, has done a lot for women's soccer, especially at Rutgers University. The uh, head coach at the time, of course, formerly the head coach of the Rutgers women's soccer team and uh, currently on the radio for new york city fc uh, talking some stories the one and only glenn crooks joins me glenn good evening welcome back it's great to have you back on the show and uh, Thank you, if you have any whoppers that if you have any whoppers to tell us we're ready to go we're all ears the floor is yours I, you know uh, international women's day uh, it's uh, you know, there are a number of things that uh, I've thought about today. And then uh, with the stimulation of you saying, hey, come on and talk about uh, some moments. Naturally, they're going to involve Carly Lloyd, but I think there are stories that may have uh, not been told uh, that, that you haven't heard before. So I thought I would, uh, you know, go through a couple of, uh, couple of those items, if you don't mind. It's like I said, everything's open. You go for it. No, oh, okay. All right. I was looking for permission. Okay, but I got you. Uh, <laughs> so, here, 
So here's a couple things. The first time I saw Carly Lloyd play, now she's a Jersey girl, Delran, New Jersey, uh, Jersey strong. Uh, Daniel, I'm sure you know by now that all this stuff we talk about with soccer, domestically, globally, doesn't matter. It all comes back to Jersey. So Carly Lloyd, Jersey girl. And so as a sophomore, she was playing on this club team. She was guesting on a club team uh, in um, – and they were playing this club. It was an older club team. And they were playing uh, the Mexican national team in an exhibition in New Brunswick, which New Brunswick, New Jersey, which has a large Mexican population. And uh, it was a wild scene. You know, everybody was out. Uh, really very cool. And by the time the game ended, uh, Charlie Namo, who's uh, now in North Carolina Courage, he's uh, you know part of their administration, uh, but he coached this team. So I went up to him, another Jersey guy, came, uh, went up to him, and uh, I said, who, who is that? And, and he's like, you don't know her? I said, no. I said, that's Carly Lloyd. I said, she's, and she's only a sophomore in high school. She was the best player on the field that night. So that was the first time I saw Carly play in this kind of rundown stadium in New Brunswick, New Jersey, against the Mexican national team in an exhibition that was never – there was no press, nothing. You know, it was just – it was a game to be played as uh, Mexico was preparing for something. Then, so that's the, where the recruiting process really started for me. And uh, fortunately, Carly uh, uh, decided on Rutgers uh, in great part to the fact that she wanted to stay in Jersey. She's a Jersey kid. So her freshman year at Rutgers, this is one of my fondest memories just in many ways, but <laughs> because it's a crazy story. The men uh, hosted this annual tournament. So it was a Friday and they have a doubleheader, and then we play. And, and it was a, there was a quirk in the uh, schedule. The Big East said we had to play on that, that night, and that's that. And our opponent is the number two-ranked team in the country, Notre Dame. So uh, the men, they moved their tournament a little bit earlier so, because they had two games to play, and then it was our game coming after their two matches, which I wasn't crazy about because, you know, the men tend to destroy the field a little bit more than the women. But whatever. Uh, I was – practically brand new there so I was going to say anything so the but both of those first two matches so the first match kicked off maybe at I don't know 4 30 the second match didn't kick off till much later because the first one went to overtime and went through the full overtime no winner the second match overtime full overtime no winner so but that by the time we warmed up and kicked off it was uh, I'll never forget it was 10 35 p.m on a Friday night it's a beautiful night uh, and this is the year, this is 2001. So 9-11 had mm-hmm. occurred uh, about three weeks earlier. So it was very, you know, just the whole, you know, and it impacted our campus because not, not our team directly. No one within our team had any relatives uh, that, uh, you know, perished in 9-11. But we all knew somebody who knew someone. And just just living in uh, our New Jersey, New York uh, community uh, was was really. We just knew so many people that worked in the city, and it, it was it was uh, it was really uh, quite a time. But here's this freshman Carly Lloyd uh, with a 10:35 kickoff. Notre Dame goes up one 0 They're number two in the country. Rutgers is where we've got nothing. You know, we're we're. I don't. I have no idea what our RPI was at the time, but it wasn't very good. So we were just getting going. Mm-hmm. Well, Carly Lloyd scores a goal to tie it up at one before the half. Then she scores a second goal. They're both fantastic finishes. One, she steals the ball in the midfield, you know, cuts it to her left, and just drives in the game-winning goal. We win two to one, and 
what I remember, my assistant, Michael O'Neill, and I, we had to hop in a car after the game. You know, we thought it was going to be a lot earlier because we had to go to this tournament called WAGS. It was a pretty large recruiting event in Washington, D.C. So we got in a car at, like, I don't know, 1 a.m., and we just had to drive down because the first game we had to watch was at 8. Well, well, it was pretty cool because we got there, we started roaming the fields, and people started, had, had learned of the result. And nationally, it was like, it was, you know, considered like this massive upset. Like, you know, and then Carly Lloyd scores two. Who's Carly Lloyd? She wasn't particularly well known yet. And then taking this one step further, we met uh, the University of North Carolina, ranked number one in the country under Anson Dorrance in the NCAA tournament Sweet 16. We, uh, we went up 1-0 before the half. They came back and beat us 2-1. But, again, it was one of those things, who's Rutgers? And, and we gave them a great game, and, uh, you know, they were the better team at the end of the day. But I'll, I'll never forget Anson coming up to me after the game. We talked a little bit, but he goes, who's that number 10? I said, it's Carly Lloyd. You should have, been, you should have recruited her. <laughs> and, uh, but I also, knew that had, yeah. I also knew that he had connections to the national team. So I said, listen, you've got you to gotta help me push her because, you know, they know you. They don't, they don't know me as well. And, uh, and she just continued to excel and, and improve and get into the camps. And, but that's, uh, you know, th- that year is where it all started as far as the recognition, you know, of Carly Lloyd. And then, Dan, you fast forward 14 years, and I'm sitting in the studios of Sirius XM FC in New York City and uh, watching the World Cup final in 2015. And here it is, my former player, Carly Lloyd, gets the hat trick, uh, which uh, I've I, I looked at the Twitter today, and that's, that moment is, is a lot of people's favorite uh, women's soccer moment. You know, and it's, it's been fairly recent, so some young people, you know, they look at that as, you know, the seminal moment in their viewing of, of women's soccer. But I was uh, at SiriusXM because I hosted a show. It was my first, it was my debut uh, on SiriusXM uh, doing a, uh, that month, doing the wor- a show called World Cup Now, and my co-host was the legend Michelle Akers, which was very cool. And then, oh, yeah. and Carly. Yeah, I... But I got a hold of Carly. She came on after every game, and uh, my bosses were like, how is Carly Lloyd coming on after? How are we getting her? I said, well, I used to coach her. She better come on. And anyway, she was great. <laughs> she right. didn't come on after the – she couldn't come on after the final because it was, she just got inundated, you know, the hat trick, uh, you know, player of the tournament, the whole thing. And, uh, and then uh, about three weeks later, we, uh, I got to host the Carly Lloyd Town Hall on Sirius XM FC. They have a little uh, – a bubble in the studio there where you could, they fit like 25 mm-hmm. to 30 people. People had to like, uh, you know, get in a lottery to come in and, and watch it. It was so cool. So those, you know, so Carly has certainly lent herself to my experiences, uh, mostly as a coach. I have no uh, standout experiences, uh, you know, as a player. So I have to rest on, on, on my coaching. And, and there are a number of others, but, uh, you know, that's, those, those are the stories that, uh, that really stick out. And, and one funny thing is, is when I interviewed her on this town hall, she asked me at one point, because we talked about that goal from, uh, you know, midfield for, the, for her third goal in, in that match against Japan in the final. Yeah. And she just, she just turned to me. She goes, did I ever try that at college? And she ended up not remembering that Michael and I went up to Boston College and scouted them before we were playing them a week later. And they had a short field. Uh, and – we noticed that their goalkeeper on the kickoff was standing at the top of the box. 
So I, I said, you know, I think and a, a kickoff in soccer is a direct kick. Uh, Yael Averbush yeah. famously uh, scored off a direct kick uh, off of off a, a kickoff at the University of North Carolina. Another Jersey girl, by the way. Remember, Daniel, it always comes back to Jersey. So uh, Yes, it does. So I told Carly, I said, Carly, you don't remember? Because what we did is we got up there, and the day before we got to practice on the field, and I said, Carly, we're going to try this. So I had her take like three or four. She had the distance but not the accuracy. I said, all right, just stop. Don't, we're not going to have you do it here until you make it. But you know you can do it. And I'll tell you what, if we get to kick off and she's standing at the top of the 18, we're doing this. And sure enough, we win the toying cost, we elect to kick, and there's the keeper standing at the top of the area, and Carly takes like three steps back because she could drive a ball, as all of you have seen, I'm sure. And and there it went. And I was like, oh, man, the earliest goal in, in NCAA history is just about to happen. And it went just wide left. But the, but the crazy part is she didn't remember that. But a lot has happened. Uh, a lot <laughs> happened to her between then and now, and you know. So uh, so it's 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 good. So fun stories. I shared some of those with my wife today. We had to kind of reminisce a little. Bit. I mean, Carly babysat for my kids. You know, I mean, it's like uh, we're very close, and um, you know, it's been so great for her. And now she's in the final stages of her career. And I, I sure hope you know that now the big challenge is, is to make the the 18 player roster for the Olympics. 18 man. That's a tough one, but we'll see. Yep. No, it's very tough, and obviously she should be a first ballot Hall of Famer once her career ends, Glenn. Obviously she'll get her red jacket, and uh, she'll go through the halls over in Frisco, and definitely she's done so much for the game, and not just for the game of the country, but for women's soccer in this country as well. Obviously a fantastic person, role model, and the time that um, she was at Yankee Stadium, actually, uh, before Red Bulls and New York City FC, obviously. And, of course, Glenn had to go first. He coached her. He asked the first five questions, and then the rest of us can throw whatever we wanted to. No, I'm only messing around, Glenn, but <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I guess, it was really I, I am, wonderful vaguely, to actually meet her in person. Yeah, that was, that was, that was cool. Now, I remember that now because I was, like, uh, next to her, and you guys were above, and uh, I, I do remember that because uh, – I was also trying to get, get getting ready for a broadcast, but uh, and and especially the Hudson River Derby, you know, always uh, always yes. a fun one. But yeah, you know, the thing that really has impressed me about Carly is that she was very quiet um, in, in college. I, I mean, she didn't have a she didn't have a great presence when she spoke, you know, and she was asked to speak at times, and and that's where she's really uh, she's just improved her uh, her you know her. She's poised and so well spoken, and 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 knows how to kind of relate things to whatever audience she's speaking to. And I, uh, I'm very proud of uh, that part of her as well. Absolutely, and I don't blame you at all. This is the first time I ever saw Glenn Glow, ladies and gentlemen. And Carly Lloyd was at Yankee Stadium, and we were all interviewing her. So it was a lot of fun, Glenn. Um, I appreciate your time coming on. Um, I'm always gl- it's always great to see you, talk to you, and everything else. I hope you have a good evening. Hope to see you again soon, and be careful and be safe through this pandemic, okay? All right, you too, Daniel. Good luck with everything. Thank you. All right, th- thanks a lot. All right, take care. Glenn Crooks, the former head coach of the Rutgers women's soccer team, 
and currently broadcasting uh, NYCFC games in New York City on the radio. So it's great. Cardick, uh, Glenn Crooks uh, done, has done well for himself, obviously, in the women's game. And the women, uh, obviously, they've already qualified for the Olympics. We're going to get the Olympics going uh, very soon for qualifying for the men's. It should be a lot of fun. Starts all in Mexico uh, this month on the 17th. So we'll have to uh, see if uh, this group of kids are going to be the ones to go and do the deed and qualify for Japan. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I wanted to highlight on something Glenn said, though, because this is so important. We have to remember Olympics are 18, taking 23 to the World Cup, and this is why for Carly in particular, she was determined to make the 2020 Olympic uh, squad after the 2019 World Cup and knowing right. there would be a cut down from 23 to 18. Now this is an additional year for her because of COVID, right? And at her age, it, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little, little bit prohibitive. I, re- I really hope she makes that 18, uh, uh, 18 person squad, but um, the extra year probably hasn't helped her, but it was, it was so great to hear from Glenn about Carly's early career at Rutgers, because I think one of the things that so many of us have respected about Carly Lloyd through the years, Daniel, is that she wasn't one of these players that was like the, and she writes about this in her biography, and she spoke about it very openly at a, at a, at a lecture series uh, uh, here in, in South Florida that I, that I helped staff, that she, that she did uh, for us. And um, she wasn't one of these uh, young girls who came through some elite academy that was highly recruited. Like, for example, you had to tell Anthony Dorrance who she was, right? You know, she wasn't on North Carolina's radar. And she worked, and she worked, and she became one of the greatest players in the history of this sport. The greatest women's players. Absolutely. Anywhere in the world. And she worked her way to where she had to earn her first caps. She got capped later than a lot of players. Uh, a lot of her contemporaries were capped before her. And she eventually became the leader and the best player of that group. So um, I loved hearing from Glenn about Carly. And, I, and I'm glad he focused on that because I know he could have focused on a lot of his broadcast career. But uh, I, I, she's an inspiration, I think, to so many uh, young women and young, young men also um, who aren't no, absolutely. at 18 or 19. And uh, – turn into wonderful players. And, and Glenn has been a big part of why Carly Lloyd became who she, who she is. And, and the, one of the greatest. I think. Exactly. So that, that was awesome. Now, you know, that's awesome. I know Glenn's great to talk with and everything else. Now I want to talk about a certain player who I met personally. And this also involves my friend, Carter Krishnar. I believe we have Scott Sandalow back on uh, the show now, back on the air. But let me just say this right now. Of course, as we all know, Scott used to work at the New York Red Bulls, uh, social media and everything, of course, with Molly Brady and stuff like that. But, you know, Kardec, I'm going to throw you on the spot here. But before I even I do, before I, before I do, let's set up the story, shall we? Scotty, remember when the coup happened that Sean Wright Phillips only came over for Brad's wedding, and then somehow Jesse got him to sign a contract? Yeah, that was cool. That shows, like, the way that, that – that was, like, the epitome of how the way that, like, Jesse and Ali created this, like, open just environment for people to be around the team. And, like, the only reason that – yeah, they even got to that point of talking and were around is just because Jesse and, again, Ali were so open about just, like, yeah, Sean, you should come to training and you should hang out and then you should – you know, eventually start really training and then maybe sign. And then you'll have that game against Philly where you score, you know, 
you know, so I, I think that all, all that happened, I saw it happen like behind the scenes and a lot of it happened just because of how open the environment was there. And like, that was like Red Bulls were like, you know, the first open source club and that's what was so cool about them at the time. Like they were just this open source team where anything kind of went and that you saw it all happen. I knew it was going to happen as soon as he got there. I'm like, this guy's going to sign for them. And and then he was the nicest guy in the world. Let me ask you guys a now, question, because Lloyd Sam has told me he played a role in SWP signing. Uh, even though I believe that. Came over. Yeah, yeah. I believe that also. <laughs> yeah, Lloyd, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, yeah, Lloyd's a great guy. Yeah. Love Lloyd. Yeah, Lloyd, I love Lloyd. And yeah. obviously, I don't know. Oh, love, I love Lloyd, too. Lloyd's awesome. Do you know how many times that Lloyd Sam has scored against DC United? I called him the DC killer. Because every yeah. <laughs> time he's like at the net and he keeps smashing the ball into the back of the net no matter what. It's a shame you couldn't get one in the playoffs against them. But I'll tell you, Lloyd just loved to take on DC United. And he always found a way to put the ball in the back of the net. It was awesome. Um, I mean, I'll let me tell just you, say like, this, Scott. I'm, no, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead, and I'll go. And I'll go, to, so, I'll I mean, go back I, to my team. You go ahead, Scott. It's okay. No, yeah, I'm obviously like a like a big United fan for better or for worse. But like he was there for a few years, and like he um he yeah. became like this kind of he was a little bit um had a little bit of trouble with fitness when he was there. Like, but he was you know such an impactful player, and like he's still like revered by Leeds fans for how much they they liked him in the couple of years that he was there, and like it's just just another just a likable a likable guy, and like all these guys were. Again, I don't know how it is now because I haven't been around for years, but I still think it's a great environment. So, like, when I was there, it's just, like, that that, that group was so likable. Like, there were just so many guys that were cool and, like, had cool stories. And, like, there was this, like, gang of dudes who, like, came from, like, wild backgrounds and, like, were castaways by different teams. And just, like, that's how they all became such good buddies, man. It was That was a cool time. And then they just steamrolled the league, <laughs> to be honest. Yep. Yeah, no, that's I, very I true. That's very true. Because Lloyd was born in Leeds, so I thought, okay, I can I can talk about Yorkshire with him because I have a soft spot for the North and yeah, spent a lot exactly. of time. Yeah, for, for 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 Leeds United also, and, and all the clubs around there, <laughs> Barnsley, the Sheffield clubs. Yeah. Um. And yeah. Uh, and, and Lloyd uh, Lloyd gave me all these stories and he told me all about Yorkshire. Because by the way, I actually grew up in London and I'm an Arsenal fan. <laughs> like all. Yeah. I didn't realize that. But he's been born in Leeds, and then he eventually made his way back to Leeds United, which is great. Yeah, no, and it, it, it's great. true. It's just like, yeah, it's just, those are just, just great stories that we had at the time. And, again, I know it's kind of a, a very different time there now. I think it's a bit transitional in, into who some of the – some of the players are, I think they're getting some of that back a little bit with like guys who, you know, just signed a guy was at Celtic for a cup of coffee and then like a couple of different guys. So I, I, yep. I think they're, they, they, there's an identity that needs to be rebuilt a little bit with, with the club now in a good way. And I, I think it's just, like, there's just so many good people and like talented players and they're like going to build this whole new like identity of, of just uh, hopefully a great team again. And it's awesome. Yeah, it really is. So let's guys. get back. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, actually, I was going to ask you and Scott something real quickly, and uh, it's sure. about the no, Red Bull because when I talk to people who've been around the Bundesliga, and, and Scott, you're not working at, at Bayern anymore, but there's, um, I know that there's all the political issues with with corporate ownership versus supporter ownership, yeah. membership ownership. I don't want to yeah. get into that. Yeah, for but sure. 
No. I've been told that the culture at Leipzig is like nothing you've ever seen before. It's so good yeah. in terms of just the purpose, the values, mm. the structure. Yeah. Um, so that's got me curious about, about New York because I, I've never really kind of put New York in a different bucket, uh, Red Bull New York, in a different bucket than the rest yeah. of the MLS. But now from talking to people about Leipzig, and I assume Salzburg's the same way, I'm thinking yeah. of your club or your former club is a completely different entity than the rest of MLS. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think that's like, it's really interesting because they have that, which is a really strong, like, you know, very buttoned up identity. And then they also have the identity of Red Bull as a brand. So like, they're like, they're very tied into two incredibly impactful and positive ideologies. And it's just like, how do they tie this together to create this club in New York? So like, you know, there's people in Austria that are pulling the strings from a culture side and in L.A. and in New York. And then there's people from Leipzig and Austria who are pulling the strings from a soccer side. So it's like they have two of the coolest resources for a soccer team I could think of. And I think, you know, you see it with how nice the stadium is. You see it with how good a lot of the staff has been. You know, so I, I think it's, it's just it's just finding the balance of like, you know, how do we take these two incredible cultures and, and turn them into one really cohesive soccer club. Um, and I think there's been hiccups, but I think there's been a lot of positives and you see it at RB Leipzig. And I, I know personally from a lot of people I know who work there and, you know, obviously with players going over there, it's, it's a, you know, they're going to be the benchmark really soon. They're going to win the Bundesliga within the next two years at least. Um, so this is a team that like you want to be around, um, you know, and I, I hopefully you see that with, with Red Bull New York. Yeah, I'm hoping so, too. And I agree with uh, Scott. I mean, just the environment to be at Red Bull Arena uh, in the training facility. It's been amazing to see, you know, how the players are, you know, they they defend each other. They stand up for one another. And, you know, when they see us coming, they don't shy away from us uh, in the media. They love seeing us. We talk to them. We treat them like you know, regular people, they treat us like regular people. I mean, how many times I've had a relationship with uh, Damian Perrinell, uh over at the club uh, during training. He always sees me. Oh, Damian's fantastic. Love Damian. Damian's a great guy. I, he always says, he always walks up to me and sh- it takes his hand out, shakes my hand. It's yeah. just great. And, of course, you know, I, I wrote a nice article about him when I used to write at Soccer News Day. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what the hell's going on here? I'm getting all these... Uh, um, these these uh, clicks, it's been fantastic. And then I find out his brother loves you. Like, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, his brother. His brother yeah, his brother has out. like an agency. Yeah, he has an agency, and now Damien's on on film, like on camera doing stuff. Like, yeah, but again, it's just like I, I know it, I don't know if it's a trite term or whatever it is, but like, you know, Red Bull's model is like the first open source club, um, and you see it in every every sense you see the people they brought to Leipzig with them or excuse me to Salzburg. Like you see Victor who was working in player development in um, in film. Like there's, it's super cool. I, I just, you know, I, I hope Red Bull can, you know, Red Bull New York continues to, you know, see the success that these other teams are, are seeing. I hope they're given the chance, um, you know, with the resources that they, that they so deserve. Cause I, I think the city is there for the taking in terms of, in terms of what's happening in the, in the soccer landscape. So it's, it's theirs to take. Mm-hmm. No, it really is. Okay. So let's get back yeah. to the Sean Wright Phillips situation. So as uh, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, coming in to Red Bull arena, I parked my car at the parking lot. Um, that is on the uh, far left side near the path train, Scott. 
Um, All of a sudden, I'm walking towards the media entrance, and then who's there in front of the building but Sean Wright Phillips? And I just said to myself, oh, my God, it's Sean Wright Phillips. It's Brad's brother. And he's there yeah. with his at the time. I guess I guess he's already married to his wife or something. But you know they're there together. I guess he's coming to visit Brad. And I said to him, "Do you need any help, sir?" And he just says to me, "Yes." Yeah, so I'm here to go inside, and you got to see my brother. I'm like, "Oh, so you're here for Brad?" Oh yeah, you know Brad. Yeah, I'm media, and I have my credential on all the time. I showed it to him, and, and then I told him where to go. I said, "Listen, if you want to wait for someone to come and open the door, if you want, you can go through the media entrance." They'll know because there should be a guy at the window giving out credentials and stuff. And if you want to talk to them. And from that point on, I became friends with not just a Premier League player, but with Sean Wright Phillips. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. I'm a friend now. I'm in. I can go to parties. No, I'm only messing about that. So then this is where Cardick comes into play. Because when I said to Cardick, I said to him, when after Sean Wright Phillips signed with the Red Bulls, I told Car Car's like, How did this happen? I told Well, you know, he's here visiting Brad. He was supposed to be there, you know, for Brad's wedding and everything. Of course we're talking about Bradley Wright Phillips. And um, you know, all of a sudden I'm in the locker room. He's played his first match for the Red Bulls as a substitute and I asked him, How's it going? Everything's fine, regular interview. Then after I uh ended the interview, I you know Basically, you know, off the record, but, you know, it's been a long time, so no one's going to care now. Um, I said to Sean, you know, my friend in Florida is a huge fan of yours. He's a big Man City supporter, and he calls you the king. He calls you the best player Manchester City ever had. And, you you know, he's just standing there gushing and gushing and gushing, just soaking it all in, embarrassingly. And so then he goes... You should have told him that, Daniel, that when he signed for Chelsea, although he came back, right, two years later, but when he signed for Chelsea... No, he came back. Yeah, I know, I know. But I didn't want to ruin it for him, you know. I didn't want to ruin it for him. I love Sean Wright Phillips in, in in that era. So yeah, after no, that, yeah. you know, that's when I made the trip down to Florida to for when Orlando uh, opened up. It was their second year in MLS. They were still at, which is now Camping World Stadium. Was it's a it's really the Citrus Bowl. We all know this. Citrus Bowl, Florida, you know, yeah. it's the Citrus yeah. Bowl. It's the Citrus Bowl. I don't care what anyone says. But anyway, what happened was he told the equipment man. You know, Fernando's son. Of course, Sean. Ruiz, yeah. Fernando Ruiz, Scott. Yeah, yeah Sean, his son. Sean. What happened yeah. was, Sean, yeah, exactly, Sean. Um, so what happened was, was that Sean told, I'm sorry, yeah, Sean Wright Phillips told Sean to make a jersey so I can give it to Cardick. And when I made sure Cardick was going to be in Orlando for Red Bulls Orlando City, I don't think Sean made the trip, but still, though, I brought I brought Cardick a gift, courtesy of Sean Wright Phillips, and I know you still have it. That's amazing. It's not in blue. Oh, it's horse. in red and white. Number ninety-eight no. S Wright Phillips. That was, so that's Cardick still story. has a souvenir. That's one of my my yeah, favorite amazing. stories from that time. Like those two, to me, it just kind of like epitomized, kind of epitomized everything that was that was just so. That was just so fun. And I am, um, you know, listen, I, like, 
I've done stuff with other teams, luckily, in the last few years. But like I, I miss I miss that. Like you can't you can't get any better than than that kind of stuff. Um, you know that's but that's just for me. Um, you know, <laughs> so not to get too emotional. Oh, yeah, I don't mean to do that to you. Amazing. I just wanted to have a little fun. No, I mean, no, it's fine. No, I, I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave that as. I, I have to get running in a couple. I didn't want to leave that as my last thought. But I will say to you, like you know, the times when we hang out in the, um, you know, in the press room, just like eating food at halftime or shooting the, uh, the yep. crap, and you know, and those those times meant a lot. And your coverage, man, like it, um, it, everyone really appreciates it. And I know it made my life easier. And I just, you know, before I hop, I just want to say thank you for for everything. And I'm glad you're still doing it because there's a lot of people who haven't. So I just, just want to tell you how, how important it is and, and to everyone, you know, who's, who's listening or to who's paying attention to soccer here. Like, you know, I just could not thank anyone enough. And from the bottom of my heart, and I think we're all in like a really special project together. So I'll, I'll leave you with that before I get too emotional, but I just want to thank you guys for everything. No problem, Scotty. Thanks for joining us, and hope you have a good night. And we should hang My out pleasure. sometime, all right? I'm always around. All right. I'll talk you soon. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. I'll talk soon. Take care. Scott Sandalow, of course. And uh, it's uh, it, he's always been a great guy. Uh, always loved talking with him, and we always joked around. It was just everything was great. But, Cardick, you know, um, just just to talk about these wonderful stories, uh, you know, Tommy, uh, Glenn, Dave, yourself, me, it's just been, uh, it's just been fun. I wish we had Gary here because, you know, we all know Gary's got some stories. We know good old Gaza. He'll have something to say, and I wish he was here. Yeah, and he'd have some great stories about uh, uh, being a player in England, a young player in in, in an era that I think – a lot of us only have heard stories about, right? Have only have only watched exactly. books about. And his stories kind of transform you and take you back there. But Daniel, I have to say this is uh, this has been an honor. You know, you're. Uh, oh, and I should mention before we we talk. Uh, yes, I, please. I, I, I conclude on show 500. I, I want to mention that uh, we have a new amateur soccer league in Florida. I've taken over as the executive director of the league. It's part time, so it's like everything else in soccer, like the story I told about Ronaldo. I'm there for a media outlet. He's there for a media outlet. But we both have another job. His is with Atlanta. So Atlanta Silverbacks minus with Fort Lauderdale Strikers. We're in the same league. We do a deal, <laughs> right? In, in, in the time. So, you know, I, I, I still use World Soccer Talk. I still my, my same role with World Soccer Talk. Anyway, um, PASL. Um, Daniel, we want to thank you for everything you've done for 500 years of uh, – uh, 500 episodes, 500 shows of Forest Team Fire. And you're now – uh, our official podcast partner for the, for our new league, and uh, uh, we're uh, going to make you we're making you an official podcast partner, and and uh, uh, have have sent out an announcement to that to that extent, and uh, look forward uh, to working with you uh, in your next 500 shows with, with this league, and hopefully the league is uh, grows in that 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 period. And so on a personal level, 10 plus years of this, Daniel. Before that, you were doing CSRN around the league, covering the Red Bulls, Metro Stars before that. But this is such, so amazing. So many others that have done radio shows, that have uh, tried to get involved in American soccer, have given up. And you have not only promoted Red Bull, your local team, but all of Major League Soccer. Not only Major League Soccer, 
But when I was at the NASL, you promoted our league every week. USL, NISA now, uh, NPSL. You're an official partner of NPSL also, uh, I should mention. And, yep. uh, and, and, and of course, uh, uh, UPSL and all the other leagues. You've covered the women's national team, the men's national team, NWSL. You've done more to promote the entire scope of the game. I know there are people who may individually have promoted USL more than, than, than anyone or MLS more than anyone. You've done more to promote more of this sport in this country than I think anyone else on radio. So uh, just an honor and, and, and uh, proud to call you a friend and, and really um, uh, hope we can do this 500 more times. Absolutely. You know, this, <clears throat> you know, the, the things I try to do to promote this game because it's not just what happens in the top league. It's not just what happens in the second league or in the third leagues or in the amateur leagues. It's everything. Everything has to be discussed. I understand Major League Soccer will always be talked about, just like the Premier League is always going to be talked about. The Bundesliga will always be talked about. Serie A, La Liga, French League on, you know, the Ever Diversi, any of the top leagues will get the majority of the press coverings, no matter where it is, either within their own nations or outside of their nations. It's just, you know, we're, we're trying, I'm trying to celebrate and at the same time highlight the most important moments and the most important things that shows that this game is meant to be discussed. You know, um, I, I have to thank you and uh, Douglas Heiser for recognizing this. Uh, I'm very glad that, you know, you've been still a part of this game. You know, I know how much you watch um, Manchester City in the Premier League. You watch the Premier League. I know you pay attention to what goes on in the Bundesliga, what goes on in MLS. Um, you know, you have your third uh, trip with uh, – Pro soccer with uh, Inter Miami now. Of course, back then the fusion, yeah. Fort Lauderdale Strikers returned. Sadly, no more. But you know what? Uh, with Inter Miami in the fold, and of course their USL League One side in uh, CF Fort Lauderdale. Um, you know, you have to be commended yourself for what you've done in South Florida as well. And of course, all, everything with World Soccer Talk has been um, absolutely fantastic. You know, I, I try my best to just go out there and promote. doesn't matter how big or how small the club is. It doesn't matter if it's professional or amateur or somewhere in the middle. The game must be discussed within our nation, period. And I'm just happy that, number one, that Gary Richards contacted me to become a part of CSRN, that number two, that I uh, was able to meet with you, talk with you, of course, with Dave Denholm, uh, also with Diana Germano and Gary Richards. Let me just say this. This is the story I want to talk about. The 2014 FIFA World Cup. While it was amazing to see and talk about how the United States got their revenge on Ghana in the opening match of the group stage and the almost victory against Portugal in the second yeah. group stage match. Even though it should have been 2-1, it ended at 2-2. Um, and we all know what happened there. 
But in my opinion, I think the best review show I had was with yourself, Gary Richards, Diana, Germano, and myself after the Italy-Uruguay final group stage match, um, which I think uh, England played Costa Rica, I believe, that was at the plate at the same time. Yeah. Um, we didn't even get to, We couldn't even review that one because we were talking about, of course, Luis Suarez taking a chunk of Chinalini's shoulder by biting him. And, you know, we were outraged. We were absolutely outraged for what he did. And it was amazing to have that conversation where there was never a disagreement, never an argument. We were all on the same page, upset, angry. How can anyone do this, not just on a football pitch, Kardec, but on the grandest stage of world football? Yeah, that it was, dis- was disgraceful. That was a and fantastic Gary show. Was so, yeah, and Gary was so worked up. And then I think Gary was also worked up about the English FA that day. Because England had crashed out of the tournament after that Costa Rica match. They finished last in the group, very surprisingly. Um, so uh, he, was, he was animated, and it was a great show. It was, it was one, of the, one of the best, if not the best, show, shows I've been on with you. I mean, I think the other, some of the other great, memorable shows, you, you, you dedicated so much for NASL preview. I remember there was a drive I made from Savannah to Tallahassee. Uh, before the start of the NASL season, getting my last little vacation in before uh, striker season began in 2015. And uh, we had a great show the whole time, right? My whole drive was taken up by, by a great show. Uh, and then also the coverage you gave, issues around U.S. soccer uh, were also so, so important, I think. And, and um, Daniel, I think you've set a trend because what I've noticed is uh, – in England, for example, the Premier League gets a lot of attention, and people who, who co- cover and watch the championship in League One and League Two have been complaining for years. Why are they always just talking about the Premier League? Now, those shows start, to, start talking about the lower league. Same thing's happening in Germany. Uh, not as much in, in, in France and Spain yet, but um, you were on to something in this country that now has spread to Euro- Europe that it's not just about the top division in any of these countries. It's about the whole picture. It's supposed to be like that. I mean, like I said, I, I, I know that the top league gets the most coverage, and we understand that, but, you know, we cannot ignore what's been going on. I mean, look, we can't ignore or, you know, some of these clubs that are in the championship level and, you know, fighting for promotion should not be the only reasons why we're looking at the lower levels or to see which clubs get relegated, which clubs get promoted. It's not just about that. It's the stories that are, you know, what do these clubs do? I mean, I think the the best story or the best example would be Leicester City, would be a club that has been up and down, up and down so many times, and then all of a sudden they stay in the Premier League, they, they find a way to stay in the Premier League. They, they fire their manager. 
They bring in Claudio Ranieri, and then in that one year, that one year, they broke the mold. And then Leicester City goes on to a miraculous run to the Premier League title. You don't see stuff like that at all. Yeah, you don't see that in other sports, which is what makes our sport so special. And I'll conclude on this. You know, one of the things that uh, you've done, one of the services, and one of the things that why there's been such a push in England for people to start covering the championship in League One and League Two more is that you tend to see the better players, some of the really good players, before they get to the Premier League. Not every player is great at 18. And this is something we've learned in the U.S. Now, there's a bunch of pro-rel bros who want to claim that Pulisic is the best American player ever because he was great at 18 and Dempsey wasn't, okay? Well, that's no one, no, only you subscribe to that, you people. Uh, there are players who it takes time. They have to work through the lower divisions. You mentioned Lester. Jamie Vardy is a perfect example of this. And if you know more about the lower divisions, you know more about some of these great players coming up, like Ollie Watkins this year at, uh, at Aston Villa, who spent the last few years in, in, in the championship at Brentford. And, and there are so many examples of that. You've done that in this sport, because we talked about a lot of players. When I come on the show as the NASL PR director, talked about a lot of players, a guy named Johnny Steele, who ended up being part of that uh, Supporters' Shield winning team, scored the winning goal. Um, that, that you and Scott were part of with, with, with Red Bull in 2013. A number of guys that we've talked about in the lower divisions on this show when I've come on have then become stars in MLS or you know, even have gone on to, to Bundesliga or Premier League. And, and so uh, the more you know, the more you, you, you talk about the sport, the more likely you are to, uh, to, 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 to actually have a broader picture of everything. So, again, want to thank you for everything you've done over the course of these last 15 years or so, 500 shows, uh, plus all your shows at CSRN before that. And uh, best of luck for 500 more. Thank you, Carl. But before you leave, I want to – this will be the last story I tell because I really want to inform everyone about what happened on this particular day. And, of course, everybody knows what happened in Zurich, France, uh, Zurich, Switzerland, excuse me, um, the FIFA scandal, the bribery scandal oh, yeah. that happened oh, yeah. at the uh, at that you know the the darkest day outside of this pandemic. At that time, it was the darkest day that I think this sport has ever had, and even though Sepp Blatter was not arrested for the crimes he committed. Later on, probably he was. I don't know what's going on with the situation or how he's been going on uh, since he is no longer president of the world's uh, game. One night, I'm, I'm at home. I'm at home one night, and I am uh, – this is, of course, on the East Coast where we are. It's around uh, 12 o'clock midnight, maybe a little bit more inside – Midnight, I would say maybe between 12 and mid, between midnight and one in the morning. I'm up. I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm just looking at Twitter. I'm looking at Facebook. I'm just looking at social media. And then all of a sudden, something is going on on Twitter. It's starting to blow up. I have no idea what it was. And then all of a sudden, there's Andrew Doss, sports editor for the New York Times. Apparently, one of his reporters, I forget his name, I know he worked at ESPN for a bit, 
but it was that particular man that broke the story. Andrew Doss is dictating uh, his man to just stay Sam with Borden. what is going on. Who? Sam Borden with the reporter. Sam Borden. He's directing Sam Borden to stay with the commotion in the hotel. Rob Stone on Fox Sports was also saying there's something big brewing in Switzerland, and I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is going on? I had no idea at the time. So I'm sticking with it. It's looking good. Next thing I know, there are automatically articles being printed right away. There is an issue going on at this hotel involving FIFA, and then we find out as pieces were coming in together that all this Interpol Swiss police involved are getting involved because something happened, which later on we'd find out uh, through Bryant Gumbel's Real Sports Show that um, Chuck Blazer is officially the snitch and the undercover guy to record all of the underhanded things going on, not just in CONCACAF, but in FIFA as well, and then everything blew up. And unfortunately, Dave's not here because, you know, what happened was I just said to myself, I'm ready to do a breaking news show on Blog Talk Radio while everyone else is asleep. And probably the only audience I have is on the West Coast is that I jumped on right away and I did a 15-minute breaking news show with Dave Denholm and off we went and, you know, we're just seeing everything blow up and then we had, and then we, of course, episode number 242 was about the scandal. I had on uh, a gentleman that was once the uh, a district, an assistant district attorney of Queens that knows the law very well. Um, I had on, of course, Cardick. I had on Ian Joy, who at the time was at BN Sports. And, of course, I had a gentleman on from England who covered Caribbean, Caribbean football who came on because all of this was blowing up in our faces. And I think for the three to four days that I hosted shows – based on the FIFA scandal. I think that's probably not trying to toot my own horn, but I will. I felt that was the best news coverage I have given to everyone about what's been going on in FIFA. And it was also depressing, Cardick, that we went from Jack Warner to Jeffrey Webb, and it never changed. Nothing no, changed. Never did. We had no idea absolutely no idea that whatever changes were being made, the majority was staying the same. It didn't matter if it was in New York City inside the Trump Tower or in the new offices at that time in downtown Miami. And I have to say this, Cardick, and I don't know if you were listening to uh, the last show I did with Devin Kerr about CONCACAF and their brand new broadcast deal with CBS Sports through their Paramount Plus app now doing CONCACAF Nations League. And hopefully more CONCACAF events will be broadcasted through CBS Sports. But I will say this. Victor Montagliani 
has truly advanced CONCACAF and they have shedded the underhandedness of both Jeffrey Webb and Jack Warner. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that there's also um, – look, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I, have, I have sources inside the building here. Obviously, they're based in Miami. Um, so uh, even though I can't get past the lobby of the building when I'm there, right? You know, their, their, their office <laughs> is right by the, by the, uh, by the Miami, uh, Miami Central uh, train station, right? You know, uh, uh, yep. a, where you can, you can Metro Rail, Metro Mover, and Brightline go. So – um, very accessible location, but it's kind of a fiefdom. You can't, can't get past the lobby. But um, yeah, I, they, 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 people are very, the morale is very high there. There's a feeling that um, the professionalism has gone up. Um, and I have to tell you, there's a feeling like, I, I mean, we thought the U.S. was the most, uh, one of the more upright countries in that period. And I think we were. And when you talk about the web, era and the Warner, the Warner slash Blazer era. But now there's a thought in the building, look, you know, U.S. Soccer Federation, they're not, they're not the cleanest whistles compared to some of the other uh, federations in, in, in this uh, confederation. In other words, everyone else has kind of had to clean up their act, which is uh, uh, led by Montagliani and led by Canada. So that's very, very, very good. And it's great for the sport in this part of the world. It really is. It really, really is. Karik, thank you as always for coming on. Uh, I'll talk to you Thank later, you. of course, about uh, other events. But still, though, uh, those Olympics are coming up. The qualification for the Olympics are coming up. And let's hope our boys can do the job. Thank you, as always. And I'll definitely talk to you again Thank for you. the next yeah. 500 episodes. All right. Thank Carter Krishnire, World Soccer. Thank you. Carter Krishnire, World Soccer Talk. Join me tonight. And, um, you know, 500 episodes, so many guests. I've had on this show Eric Winalda, Tony Miola, Tab Ramos, Marcelo Balboa, Ian Joy, um, of course the late great uh, Ziggy Schmidt was on. Um, countless players, countless coaches, countless assistant coaches, of course colleagues of past and present, of course you know um, internationally, of course. Uh, I have been blessed and I've been uh, gifted. Uh, at least I try to um, show the respect and give the respect back to all these people that have been a part of this show. Um, you know, I, I try my best to give quality content no matter where it comes from, no matter how it's done, no matter how it gets done, I try to do as much as I can. I'm just, I'm just a one-man band. I am just a one-man band trying to get everyone a fair opportunity to spend 10 to 15 minutes on this show. All the other shows I cover, of course, the U.S. Open Cup, the CONCACAF Champions League, CONCACAF Gold Cup games. Hopefully I can do a, um, a full tournament. We'll see what happens. But obviously it's a situation where it's still a little bit tough to do. You know, just doing a show, me, myself, and I, and trying to make sure you coordinate with your guests 
on how they're going to come on and how they're going to do. But definitely, uh, I'm, I'm grateful enough, of course, making new uh, colleagues, new friends, and of course, just cover it, you know, not just covering the Red Bulls, but also covering everything and anything involving the world's game in our country. So, tonight, I want to say thank you to Dave Denholm, Carter Krishnire, Scott Sandalow, my special guests, Tommy Smith, and Glenn Crooks. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. I appreciate it. We were having fun. Love to have fun. Uh, For once, next week, we'll get back down to business. Thank you for being a loyal listener, everybody. Please be careful. Please be safe. Please continue to wear your masks. Be strong. Be vigilant. We will get through this pandemic. I truly believe it. And for the last time, I will say this. I shouldn't say the last time, but, um, but for one more time tonight, I will say this. I will always believe in the American player. We have talent in this country for this sport. Let us continue to develop that talent so that everywhere and anyone around this world can use it to play meaningful matches at any club in any continent inside North America or outside of it. Once again, my name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please... Enjoy your football. Thank you, everyone. You have a good evening. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.